As we pray today, we're going to pray straight from Scripture, straight from Psalm 139. Um, and uh, as we do this, I just wanted to to let this serve as a reminder to us that uh, in the in the many times when we as believers feel a dire need to pray, but might not know exactly what to pray, uh, we never pray the wrong thing when we pray from Scripture. So uh, let's open up Scripture today. Uh, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 139, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and we're going to pray this to God. Um, and if you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. So I encourage all of our households all together to pray these words aloud together. Psalm 139. Let's pray. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Harvest. Pastor Jamie here. I'm excited to jump into God's word with you. We're actually going to be starting a series in the Psalms because we want to learn uh, actually about God's attributes as we study the Psalms. Uh, because even in times like this, we can be tempted to focus on all the things that are constantly changing rather than focus on an unchanging God. Because when we focus on an unchanging God, it makes all the difference in our lives. Kind of like as I've seen uh, kids in my neighborhood, they're out riding their bikes uh, with parents. Some kids are learning how to ride their bikes. And what brings them comfort isn't that they immediately learn how to ride. What brings them comfort in the process is the fact that their parents are there. Their parents are watching them. This happened even with my kids when they were little. If there was a storm going on uh, and they were afraid of what was going to happen, they would come and they would be with me. Why did they find comfort? Why do kids find comfort in their stressful times when their parents are present? Because they know their parents. They know the history of what their parents have done for them, how reliable they are, how strong they are, how knowledgeable they are, any number of things about their parents. It's so big them, but the comfort comes because their parents are present and they know about their parents. And so we want to study the Psalms and we want to study this Psalm because we learn attributes about God. And as we know more about God, as we study who he is, it's going to make a difference 
in everyday life, not just in this season, but in any season to come. So let's jump into Psalm 139. We're going to look at four attributes about God that we see in Psalm 139. So we're going to unpack the text for a bit. We're going to look at just one attribute each time, and then we're going to look at some implications for how that attribute makes a difference in everyday life for us. So look, it's, let's look at the first one. Uh, we're in Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6, and the attribute we're going to be looking at is the fact that God is uh, om, omniscient, uh, which means that he's all-knowing. So that's a fancy word for meaning that God is all-knowing. So let's look here in the verse. It says, uh, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Now, before we rush on, let's look at some of the words here. When it says, you searched me, it's talking about God examining. And when it says known me, and it's talking about, it's not just a, a head knowledge, like God just knows facts. No, God knows us experientially. He doesn't just know details. He discerns what's going on about us. So the part where it says, you know, he knows details, but it talks about discerning. And when it says, uh, uh, you're acquainted with all my ways, God has an understanding about who we are. Again, not just details, but, but it's transferred to understanding about us. God knows our minds more closely even than we know our own minds. Because look at what it says here. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows how we feel. He has a great understanding. There are times we can feel like, ah, I don't even know what I think about this. Well, God does know because He's acquainted with our ways. He's searched us out. He's discerned who we are. It goes on. Uh, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So God's knowledge does something. He doesn't just sit there and know about us. He does something with that knowledge. And this word hem me in, it means kind of to envelop, kind of like when like a parent kind of envelops a, a child and, and holds them uh, to keep them safe or uh, to put them in a place. Because it says, you hem me in, look at verse five, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. It's talking about putting him in a place. Kind of like when there are parents that you might see put their kids in a car seat. They put their kids in in a place because they know it's going to be good for them. They have knowledge about them, and they put them in that place because it's going to be good for them. So that's what God does for us. He puts us in places that are good for us, even if he doesn't always feel good to us or for us. But because he knows everything about us, he also knows what's best for us. And so he puts us in those places. So there are some implications here you know, the psalmist finishes this little section by saying, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He's in awe of this knowledge that God has. 
So our God is all-knowing. How does that make a difference for us in everyday life? Well, here are some ways it makes a difference. Here's an implication. God knows what is best for us, even if it doesn't feel the best for us, or even if we don't think it's the best for us. God knows what is best for us. He, he hems us in. You might even be experiencing that right now. You might be like, yeah, I am, I am done with the stay-at-home stuff. Uh, I, I want to be out. I want to be doing what I want to be doing, or maybe the constraints of where your job is at, or the income, or plans, and you like to plan things, and you can't do that right now, and it just kind of feels like this pressure that's there. That's, that can be and has been God hemming us in. For, for whatever his sovereign purposes are, he places us where we are at because he knows what is best for us and we can trust him. We can trust his hand in that because he knows every detail about us in the place that you're at. Even if you feel constrained, let's trust God's good constraint. So God knows what is best for us even if we don't think it's what's best for us. And God knows us. Another implication is God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves because he searches us out. He's acquainted with all of our ways. He can discern our thoughts from afar. He knows where we go and he searched us out. He's known us. Many of us are afraid of being known. We're afraid of getting in relationships or being exposed because what happens if someone actually knows us? If they know us, they could take advantage of us and then they could be mean to us or they could stop talking with us because when they find me out and some of us live in fear, like I don't wanna be known. What if they find that out about me? Or maybe as a kid, you don't want your parents to know or maybe as parents, you don't want your kids to know. There's all different kinds of dynamics. But know this truth. You are known. You are known. You are already known. And God knows you better than you know yourself. And he's not wavered in knowing everything about you because he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin when he knew what you were going to be thinking, what you were going to be doing. And he sent his son to the cross beforehand knowing you. So God knows our thoughts and actions. He knew our thoughts and actions when he sent his son to the cross. So he was in full knowledge of us and our condition when he sent his son to the cross. The cross was not an accident. And he sent his son to the cross because we have sinned against him and we need to be reconciled to him. And here's a sobering reality that fourth implication of God being all-knowing is that we cannot hide our sin from God. There's no secret chat rooms with God. We can't search the internet incognito and have other people not find out about that. We can't even have thoughts that God doesn't know about. Even the ones that you want to say that you don't say God knows those thoughts. We can't hide from God, and we shouldn't think that we can hide our sins from God because he knows those things 
on the last day we'll stand before him and account for everything that we do. And that's why we need the blood of Jesus to cover our sins. But you can't hide your sins from God, friends. We need to be convicted by that reality. But that's a good thing because he doesn't want us to stay in our sins. He wants us to trust in Jesus. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that today because he knows what's best for you. And that's to be reconciled to him and not continue in your own way, but to continue in his way. So we can't hide our sin from the Lord. And our reaction to him knowing everything can take two different forms. One could be simply, we could respond like the psalmist. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We can be in awe of him, or we can run. Or we can run. But running doesn't do us any good because of the next attribute that we learn about God in this passage from verses 7 to 12. We learn about the fact that God is omnipresent, which means he's all present. Our God is all present. He's everywhere all the time. Take a look at your Bibles. Verses 7 to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. There's some significance in these words because when it says, where shall I flee from your presence? It's not just like he's sitting here and you're with him. It's it's referencing the face of God, the significance of where can I hide from God's face? We know from the scriptures that being before the face of God could mean dying because God is perfect. Holy. We'll talk about that later, but we know that Moses didn't even see the face of God. God allowed Moses to see his backside. And when God saw, when God walked by him and Moses saw his backside, he came off the mountain to to the people of Israel and he was glowing just by seeing the backside of God, not by seeing his face. So seeing his face could be fearful. We don't want to see his face and we want to run. That's the temptation when we might be caught in our sin and we want to run from God because it's before his face. But it's saying here, where can I go from your face? Because there's no place to hide. Because God, God is everywhere. Whether we're in heaven, which we think about, but it says when in Sheol, what it's referring to is the place where the dead go. The underworld, sometimes it's referred to, but where the the dead reside. Because God is in the place of heaven and God is in the place of hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and where there's the just punishment for the sins of those who've rejected God. God is there carrying out his justice and God is rewarding and giving blessing to those who've repented and believed in Jesus. God is in both places because he's in the, he's in the place where people go when, when they die, when this life ceases to exist. God is even there. But we as Christians need to find comfort and joy in the fact that Jesus has 
conquered death. Death is no longer something for us to be afraid of. It's something that we can actually welcome because to live is Christ, to die is gain because we're in his presence. In Acts 2.24, it says, God raised him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So even though God is there in the place where people go when they die, Jesus was not constrained by death, and we can find joy in that and knowing that. Let's get back to the text. Um, you know, if I take the wings of the morning, think about where the where the sun rises in the east, or dwell the other most parts of the sea in the place of where the psalmist would have written this, he would have been looking across the Mediterranean Sea, which would have been for him in the west. So it doesn't matter from as far east to the west. You can't go anywhere where God is not. Now, Jonah thought when it came to the sea, he thought he could go. We know what happened to him. He ended up in the belly of a fish, and God was in the belly of that fish and spit him up onto land so that he could go be used. But, but Jonah couldn't run, and we can't run from God, even if we go to the sea. There's something interesting here. Look, it's, it's not God pursuing someone, if you're running from God, not God pursuing to just lay the hammer down. No. Look in verse 10. Look at your Bibles. It says, even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. There's a loving pursuit. Like someone going after someone who's been hurt or lost in the forest and they give their hand and they, they lead them out the safe path to safety or a parent coming to their child who is struggling and they, they reach them, they, they scoop them up in their arms and they go. It's not the picture of the God coming down hard. It's a picture of a loving God in pursuit of his children because he's all present. He's all present even in darkness. Look at your Bibles again, verses 11 and 12. It says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light with you. God doesn't have night vision. Like night vision when you think about military forces and they have this night vision where they can see in the dark a little bit and they can maybe have heat signatures and see where people are at. God doesn't have that. What it here is says is for darkness is as light with you. When God goes in the dark, he sees like it's brighter than we see in the daytime. Because for him, to, darkness is as light with him. He doesn't need night vision because it's day vision for him when he's in the night. That's how much he sees and how much he's involved and where he is. He's even in the midst of the darkness and you can't shut the light off on God. So God is all present everywhere and that has some implications for us, some really wonderful implications from us. One is simply this that we kind of already talked about. You can't run from God. You can't run from God. You might run this entire earthly life, but there he is. You may try to run away from him, but we are going to stand before him one day. You can't run from him. So I encourage you to respond to him today. 
Now, friends, if you have children that are running from him, I want you to know this wonderful truth. They can't run from God. However far they go, the ones that are burdening your soul because they're not walking with Jesus, whether they're in your house or have left your house, they can't run from God. They might be able to run from you, but they can't run from God. Because even if we have walked away from God, he is there. He is there, and we can't get away because God still cares for us even when we run. In tenderness, like we saw in the passage in 10, your right hand shall, there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. God still goes after us even when we run. You need to know that, friends. Even if you have run, if you're a Christian and you've gotten caught in sin or you've allowed worldliness to slip in or whatever your situation is and you're just like, I have slipped away from God, I've fallen away from God, you need to, you need to live in the good of this truth knowing that you, he has not left you. As you have felt like you have run from God, he is still there present with you because God is present in every moment of our lives. You are not alone. You are never alone. There's never a moment that you exist where you are alone. Whether you're in a large group of people and you feel alone or you're physically alone right now because of the constraints that are upon us, you're in your house by yourself, you're not actually by yourself because God is there. You are not alone. And if you're in a place where you're experiencing darkness just be reminded that God sees clearly in the midst of our darkness. You don't need to be afraid when the darkness closes in on you. Whether you are experiencing some kind of physical or emotional, psychological challenge in your life that feels like a darkness closing in, whether you could potentially experience something in the future that's out there that's unknown, when the darkness comes, the darkness is not dark to him. It's not dark to him. And that's the hardest thing because the darkness comes right here. We can't seem to see him and don't know if he's there, but the darkness is not dark to him. So when you feel the darkness and you wonder, where is God? God sees. God knows. God is present. And we know he is powerful to do something about it. Because he formed us. He had the power to speak something out of nothing and create us into existence. He is the creator. And that's the third attribute that we learn, that our God is all creative. We can often say, well, someone can create things, but they're not necessarily creative. God's both and. He makes stuff, but he makes stuff wonderful. Let's look here in the passage. It says, for you formed my inward parts. He creates, he formed our inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So fearfully means uh, to be awesome. I'm awesomely made and I'm, I'm, I'm wonderful. So I'm to be uh, distinguished, kind of set apart. I'm awesomely distinguished. Not because you are awesome, because God is awesome. So anything awesome about you is reflecting his awesomeness. 
It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knows our past, present, and future. The psalmist says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I could not count them. They are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Even when we close our eyes to sleep, he is still there. He's still there. Now he is all creative and there are some implications for us about that. It it makes a difference in our lives today that he is all creative. Here's one of the differences. God cares for you. I know you've probably heard that before, and maybe in a pithy statement or on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, but here's just the reality. God does care for you. You aren't a product of chance. You didn't, you didn't come from some amoeba or develop from something else. No, you were created in God's image. In fact, Every human being on this planet was created in the image of God to bring glory to his name as we reflect that image. We all have significance, and God has had thoughts about you. It says here so many thoughts that that's similar to the sand. There's more than the sand. I don't know if you've been to the beach and taken a bucket. Uh, you probably could just take a cup and start to count the sand. Maybe after you get to 100, you'd probably give up. But he's had thoughts. He said so many thoughts that it doesn't compare with the sand on the shore. That's how many thoughts he's had about you. That's how much he cares about you. That's how much he cares about his creation. Each person that you interact with, you can tell them he's had that many thoughts. He cares about us. And he's numbered our days. It says, in your book were written every one of them. When he saw our unformed substance, look in verse 16, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. He knows, he knows how many days that we have. I'm reminded of Stonewall Jackson, who was a military general in the Civil War. He was called Stonewall Jackson because he rode on his house. He on his, had his house. He didn't ride on his house. He rode on his horse, and he was upright. His back was straight, and he rode into battle. And didn't matter if bullets were flying by or going through his hat, he was a stone wall. Why? He was a stone wall because he believed in this truth. God had numbered his days and he didn't need to be afraid of any bullets or the weather or anything because God knew how many days he had. So we can trust God. We can live our lives without fear knowing that God has numbered our days. Now, certainly we want to be wise. God calls us to be wise in his word. He's called us to be wise by what we learned from the book of Proverbs. We're not going to just go be crazy out there and go, oh, God's numbered my days. Anyway, We want to care about other people. But God's numbered our days. So we don't have to try to be in control and fashion this and worry and wonder and be in fear. No, 
God's numbered our days. He's numbered our days because they are to be used to bring him glory. God gives your life meaning and has purposed it for his glory. Each of those days that have been set out for you have been set out with a purpose because he has set them forward, which gives your life meaning because you're called to give glory to him. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's prepared good works for each of us to walk in, to bring him glory. And so our lives have purpose. So even if you struggle with how God made you, and even you teens, I'm speaking to you, and I'm speaking to anyone who struggles with how God made them, how tall or short or the shape or whatever, skin color, hair, you can be like, ah, oh, why did God make me this way? God made you that way because he would be given much glory for you to be made that way because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we don't want to mock that. We don't want to put that aside because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we've been created to have good works. We've been recreated in Christ to have good works and bring glory to our Father who's in heaven. God's works are wonderful, and he's not even done with you yet either. You have days that he's formed for you. He saw your days, and he wants them to be used for his glory. Now, even in these implications for us personally, this is certainly a text that we go to to be reminded of the fact of why we care about the unborn, because God values the unborn. God values prenatal embryos because it says here that he's the one that knit them together. His, the, those, the frames of those, those embryos and the, uh, you know, the beginnings of life happening in the mother's womb, it happened in secret. Oftentimes, a woman doesn't know she's like immediately pregnant. Sometimes, very soon thereafter, they can sense that or wonder that. But it, even before anyone knows, God knows because he's at work there and he cares. He cares about the child from the point of conception before then because of the thoughts, because he knew before we were born. That's why we advocate for the rights of the unborn, because God cares about them. That's why we support organizations like Life Plan that want to help moms to, to preserve life because they are created in God's image and they have days numbered to bring God glory. And certainly, if you are out there and you are watching and you've experienced or had an abortion, I no way want you to feel condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For whatever God's sovereign purpose is, he numbered the days of that child, and he's numbered your days, and he has more for you, and you need to know that. You need to know his love for you. And also, I want to speak to parents out there who've lost children. Maybe you've lost children after they've been born, or maybe you've lost children before the normal birthing process. 
God numbered your child's days. This is true about that child or those children. God numbered those days. They were the days formed for them, and those days were numbered, and those days were used to bring him glory. Even if no one else knew about them except for you, God was having thoughts about them. And so we can know the significance of those lives, even if others aren't even aware you need to know the significance of the life of your child and that God has greater love and affection for that child than even you do. And find comfort in knowing that because he knew them in a way that you long to know them. He knew them even more. So find comfort in that. Find comfort in this reality that God cares about us and numbered our days and gives us meaning in our lives and, and purpose. Now, these are all wonderful truths about God, God being all-knowing, God being in every place all the time, and, and certainly, you know, God being all-creative. But this psalm, as you read it, if you've read it before or if you just read it for the first time, it seems to take an odd turn as we go to read it, all these wonderful, amazing things, and then we come to this. In verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against me with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoa, where did that come from? Now, remember, this psalm was likely written by David, who was often pursued by those who hated him and wanted his kingdom. Even before he was a king, he was pursued by Saul. And so he would have experienced constant affliction. Even when he wasn't running from God, he definitely experienced being pursued by others. And so this is simply a prayer that's being expressed by him. God, deliver me. You know what's going on about me. God, would you do something about what's going on here? But this is also uh, something that we call an imprecatory psalm. There's uh, some other psalms that you might have read that they have some crazy things in them, and you're like, what is going on here? Well, what's going on here is something that, that refers to God's holiness, because God is all holy. He's perfect like no other. And when some of these things are expressed, it's the psalmist expressing a heart for God because God's holiness cannot exist with sin and evil. And wrath must be poured out on evil. Sometimes the psalmist is expressing these things, not knowing it. He might be expressing it out of his own situation, like it's probably happening here, but he's expressing the justice that needs to happen, the hurt that's in the world that's happening, but ultimately God's holiness against the evil that's in the world. Because God's holy. The dictionary defines it as exalted, worthy of complete devotion, as one perfect in goodness and righteousness, and he certainly is. And so that's what was reflected here, that God's holy. And some of the things that we can learn from this are 
that God hears our prayers because God, God heard his prayers. The psalmist is being completely honest and open about his feelings and what, what's going on here. Even when we're desperate and hateful and struggling and things just spew out of our mouths, God knows our heart and he hears our prayers. And often our praying and the process of praying and getting all of that out for God to hear, that praying does some changing in us. It did some changing for him because he turns and says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It did some change in him. But it, before it does the change in us, we need to know that God will bring about justice in due time. God will carry out his justice. He will make every wrong right. He will. God will do that. So the crying out that we cry out, God will make it right. But he is the one that's going to do it, and we can entrust that to him. But as we pray and cry out to him, God changes us. Because as we, as we encounter him and we encounter his holiness, it provokes us to be holy. It provokes our holiness. In 1 Peter 1.16, it says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Even in Matthew, the reason why we take the log out of our own eye before the speck of someone else is there's a, a reality we need to be before the Lord in his holiness and have the response like the psalmist who says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He's really referring to troubled thoughts. Try me, Lord, Meaning like going through the fire of refinement. Let bubble out all the mess that's in me and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So find it out, God. He's, when he's confronted with God's holiness, he is motivated himself to be like God, to return to the place that he was created to be like. And we long for that day when we'll see him face to face and there'll be no more sin anymore and we will be completed. The sanctification process will be completed when we are glorified of glorified bodies and we are with him. So we long for that day. But until that day comes, let us reflect on his holiness rather than looking to the other things around us or criticizing this or that or the other thing. We stop and we reflect his holiness and say, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. But then lead me in the way everlasting because remember he is he's a good shepherd who leads us. This psalm started with the truth that God had already searched us and known us. So he knows the answer even before we ask. But he will answer and we're all tempted, friends, to focus on our circumstances. And many things are happening all around us that we can't explain or we don't know what's going to happen. But rather than focusing on our circumstances that are changing, that seem to be readily changing, it seems to be a constant change. In this season of time, let's take advantage of the time that we have to focus on an unchanging God who knows everything, who is everywhere, who's 
all creative, who's all holy. Let's focus on him rather than our problems or our situations. And so I'm going to put forth a challenge for you, friends. My challenge is this. I want to encourage you over the next month or so to memorize Psalm 139. Now, I know that's a big ask. Like, whoa, that's 24 verses. Friends, the thing that will help us when we encounter adversity is not the solutions to those problems. The thing that will help us most, the one thing that will alleviate fear, that will bring comfort, that will give us perspective, it's knowing about God. This is my favorite psalm because there's so much truth about God's character packed into just a couple of handfuls of verses. And it's my prayer that in the coming days and weeks as you read this, as you read it and reread it and memorize it. Teens, I want you to memorize it. I want to, you're wondering what to do with your time. God's, God's days were formed for you to be used for his glory. Would you use this time rather than wasting it on various things? Use this time to hide God's word in your heart so that when trials come, we navigate them knowing who he is and entrusting ourselves to him. We are going to be reminded of the fact this morning that he loves us. We have from this passage, but we're going to be reminded by taking communion together. So if you haven't had the opportunity to prepare the elements in your home, uh, you can do that now because we are going to take some time to to reflect on what Jesus has done because this amazing God who knows all about us sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. And we want to be reminded of that wonderful and amazing truth because we can know this God rather than saying, where shall I flee from your presence? Where shall I flee from your face? We can long for the day when we will see him face to face. And so friends, as you're preparing the elements and as we're preparing our hearts for taking the elements together, I want you to consider, is there any sin in your heart, anything uh, the Bible tells us not to take communion in an unworthy manner? So we simply want to confess those sins to the Lord and know that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So know that good truth as we take the elements together in a few minutes. So I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for this word and this amazing truth that you have brought to us. I pray, God, that as we take communion right now, we'd be reminded of how much you love us, that you sent your son for us. And Lord, in the coming days and weeks and months, as we soak in the truth of this scripture, God, would it transform how we live and transform how we think about everything in our lives because we come, become more intimately aware of you. And even right now, help us to be more intimately aware of Jesus and what he has done. And I just thank you, Father. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name.